30 years ago, God did a, a, an unexpected move in my life, to say the least. He drew me up to the Library of Congress and got me doing some research on the first contact between white people and native people in the Pacific Northwest. I didn't know why I was doing this research at the time. Uh, eventually, he did um, open the door for me to write a book called The Forgotten Awakening that gives all of that research. But what I want to do is to share with you how my research informs this current series of teachings. In other words, that one of the main uh, uh, themes of my teaching here is that God has ordained times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. In other words, spiritual awakening, seasons of revival. And these have been moving around the globe in a westerly direction. And when we get to the year 1800 or so, we have a major problem, and it's called the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains are like a wall in the continent that's going to, to prevent the advance of the kingdom of God in the westerly direction that we're talking about here. However, the Rocky Mountains were no real barrier that was insurmountable to God. God had his own way of doing things. Okay, so that's what I'm wanting to tell you about, and that's, that's what my research was about. Okay, so there was, a, there was a tribe called the Flatheads. They're still there. The Flathead tribe are on the west flank of the Rocky Mountains, so over the Rockies. And then you discover Flathead Lake and the Flathead Indians. And this is my favorite picture of uh, Flathead by Edward Curtis, one of the great photographers uh, of the past. Um, and uh, their main uh, chief, or the greatest hero of the Flatheads, according to ancient testimony, was a guy named Shining Shirt. Shining Shirt had a, uh, an encounter with God. A, a major vision. And in the middle of this vision was the cross. And as he was looking at the cross, um, he discovered uh, that God was telling him that there would be people of black robes coming and explaining what the cross means. But in the meantime, um, it would please the Creator if they would wear crosses around their necks and it would be a protection in battle for their warriors. And so for a season, right around the 1740s, 50s, 60s, right in there, they would wear these crosses in obedience to the vision of Chief Shining Shirt. And, um, and then they were looking for these uh, black robes that would come and explain it. There was a lot more in the vision as well. But now let's go to the west of there, and you have the Coeur d'Alene people. They also had a prophet, more than one. And uh, the prophets uh, were told that uh, 
the Coeur d'Alene people uh, were being given a uh, information that a long, long ago uh, there was a baby uh, born in a far-off place who was very important to the Creator. And there would be black robes coming, people wearing black robes who would come and explain the significance of the baby. But in the meantime, it would please the Creator if they would celebrate each year this great birth, even though they didn't quite understand it all and the meaning of it. So they would celebrate what we call Christmas, the birth of this ancient baby, every year faithfully, always looking to the coming of the black robes. And so that's the story, the saga of the Coeur d'Alene Indians, told by Chief Joseph Saltis, who was the official historian of the tribe. So this is not um, a story hidden in a corner. This is the official tribal history of the Coeur d'Alene people. Then we go farther west. You come to the Spokane people. They also had a very, very famous prophet um, named Uri Ratchin. And uh, this prophet, on the mountain, Mount Spokane, received a vision uh, right around uh, 1782, I believe it was. And um, although he didn't actually tell the vision until 1791. So this is later than the other two. We're literally seeing God move to the west. Or the Holy Spirit is moving westward, westward, giving prophecies. And this prophecy is of Chpixa, uh, white-skinned ones who are going to come from the east and they're going to bear in their hands uh, leaves bound together. And um, they, would, they should seek these white-skinned people for information uh, about the creator that was going to come from the leaves bound together. And so here is yet another prophecy and the evidence is that all of the tribes in this area received prophecies, different prophecies. It's not like one for all, but it's each one receives a unique prophecy just for that tribe. And they all received their prophecies during the 18th century. So as the Great Awakening is happening in the East, and then the Second Great Awakening, there, there's going to be a fulfillment of these prophecies during the years, the, as the, you know, like the Finney years, during those years, 1820s and 1830s, they're going to see the fulfillment of prophecy. In the meantime, um, there's going to be uh, a mountain man named Jedediah Smith. He's going to be raised as a Methodist during those Methodist revivals, the wilderness revivals that we were talking about. And so he's going to be a, a devout Christian, a man of prayer and a Bible believer. Um, and so he's going to become the main leader of the fur trappers in the American fur trade. At the same time, he's going to be a great trailblazer, far greater than Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark were the first white people to cross the Rockies and go back, and they certainly did share the vision of it, but uh, Jedediah Smith probably um, 
trailblaze ten times the amount of actual terrain. He discovered South Pass, which became the way through the Rockies for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people from the east. So he literally was the trailblazer for um, white people going from the east to the west. Uh, he was a devout Christian, and so he was able to bear witness to Jesus Christ wherever he went among the tribes. And, um, and then farther to the north, um, you have Sir George Simpson. Let me, first of all, share with you the picture of Jedediah, um, the only picture we have of him. And then here is Sir George Simpson, the, um, the head of the Hudson's Bay Company in Canada. So George Simpson is going to be the main guy connecting the Western tribes with some new missionaries who are going to come into a place called the Red River Colony, which is today's Winnipeg. Now, these missionaries are the result of the Clapham sect. Okay, so this is the new missions agency of the Anglicans that we talked about already, and uh, it's going to reflect uh, a second great spiritual awakening. So there is a, a, a new spirit about this, and they're wanting to be faithful to the Great Commission. So here are William Cochran and David Jones coming in, and they are loving Native people in the name of Jesus at the Red River Colony. And, and because of the Western tribal prophecy, uh, the great chiefs of the tribes are going to want to, once they've heard about these missionaries, they're going to want to send their sons to find out what they're, um, what they're teaching back east. So two of the tribal chiefs, including uh, Ilum Spokane, who is a great chief of the Sp Middle Spokanes, is going to send his son, and uh, his name is Slupicha, but he's going to be called Spokane Gary, and um, he's known as Spokane Gary to this day. He's going to go to the Red River Colony, and then in 1828, between 25 and 28, he's going to receive his education. Um, he's going to be baptized. Then he's going to come back, and he's going to uh, be thronged by hundreds of people, most of the tribal leaders, all from all around the Columbia Plateau, because they've all received their individual prophecies. They are very aware that, um, that Spokane Gary is, is returning. He's going to tell what he's learned. Um, the prophets have, have spoken of this day, so he's thronged and he's going to He's going to arrange for um, a what it really is an evangelistic campaign going around during the next year to all of these tribes just to share what he learned, just to share what he learned. And, and so literally, this is the first Christian evangelist west of the Rockies. You see, this is the way God did it. Um, now, uh, going to the south a little ways, you have... Nez Persis. 
And there are four Nez Perces and possibly seven, but the four we know about are eagle, uh, rabbit skin leggings, no horns on his head, and man of the morning. These are the four that went on a very, very dangerous, long, arduous journey to the east, across the Rockies, from their homeland in um, northeast Washington State, right there on the, the, the border with uh, Idaho. And so crossing that, oh, that whole way to St. Louis, Missouri, where they happen to know that Chief Red Hair is. Chief Red Hair is William Clark, the first superintendent of Indian Affairs, a man who has gained tremendous respect and trust on the part of all of the tribes. And so they're, they're going to him to ask him, won't you please send teachers to teach us what you know of the Creator? That's the whole purpose of this delegation of Nez Perce uh, native men uh, to William Clark in 1831. Uh, very dangerous trip. In fact, there's no evidence that they actually made it back again. But they, they did deliver their message where it was supposed to go, and then William Clark wrote to the missions agencies. These are brand new missions groups, people who have just, just discovered the Great Commission of the church. Um, and so they're, they're just trying to figure out how to do this. And, and so first missionaries are going forth, and literally uh, after Jedediah has, has discovered the uh, South Pass, which is going to be the main route of the wagon trains, he dies in 1831, but then literally the first wagons across that South Pass are going to be the missionaries who are responding to this call from the four Nez Perses, and they're going to land among the Nez Perses and among the Spokans, and among other tribes, they're going to come Catholics because God has literally uh, um, uh, foretold among the prophets who would be placed among these different groups. And it's, it's really a, uh, a, a paradise for missionaries. I mean, uh, who ever heard of such a preparation, uh, open door for the gospel? And yet, after a season, things are not going to go so well. And uh, two of the things that are going to hinder the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom is, first of all, um, that even though God has clearly opened the door for Catholics among the Flatheads and the Coeur d'Alene's and Protestants among the Spokane's and the Nez Perce, um, those two groups are not going to get along with each other. They're going to spend, they're really going to waste a lot of time preaching against each other and telling uh, each other what bad people each other are. And so this is, this is not going to sit well with the tribes. And a lot of the tribal leaders are going to say, don't we already have enough fighting with each other? We don't need more. And so a lot of people are going to fall away because of the bitter enmity between these two groups. Um, Jesus 
you know, he wants us to love each other. And if we love each other as he has loved us, then they'll know that God sent Jesus because of the miracle of our love for each other. Um, so um, this is something, uh, a terrible weakness of the missions early on. And then that gave way to something even worse. And, and that is that power and might Christians took over the missions work. Um, and pretty soon you've got uh, the Indian boarding school movement. And so um, this is going to be a total disaster for um, spreading the gospel of the kingdom among the tribes. Um, the idea here is kill the Indian and save the man. So what we're going to do here is we're going to kill off their language, kill off their song, kill off every bit of their culture. We're going to kill off everything that is at all native, sort of like what the Roman Catholic Church did with Jews. Um, it's the same spirit. It's exactly the same thing happening, in fact. Um, we're seeing um, just... Uh, Je the name of Jesus is being used to convey the opposite of what Jesus stands for. Do you get this? And so power in my Christianity, I have to say this, it is a satanic stronghold inside the church. And it has had a disastrous impact on the gospel of Jesus. And so um, I believe right today um, we're starting to see um, the need to repent of things that have gone so terribly wrong. We're, we're needing to learn how to get along with each other and to open our heart to the broader love of Jesus and um, not require everybody to be an exact replica of ourselves. Um, we're, we're trying to now break free of denominationalism, and we're trying to break free of power and might Christianity that's been doing so much damage to the witness of Christ. And I believe we're starting to see some breakthroughs here. But the main point I want to make now in this teaching is that God is moving his times of refreshing in a westerly direction, and we're, we're simply tracing that pattern. We're seeing it move by the power of the Spirit, sometimes almost in spite of people and in spite of the church. But um, what a difference it would make if we would gain a sensitivity to the movings of the Spirit of God and go with the Spirit rather than um, kind of knocking against what God is doing and not even discerning what's happening. So um, what I'm excited about here is it's a pattern that uh, extends beyond any one people group or any one nation. We're seeing it as a global pattern now, and that's what we're excited to share in our next teaching as well.